to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog owners. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm Rachel Harris. I'm a certified professional dog trainer, and I hope to give you a fresh outlook on your dog's behavior and practical dog training advice. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. If you are new around here, welcome. I am so delighted to have you listening. I know that there are a lot of podcasts to choose from, and I am honored that you are giving me a listen. So guys, in today's episode, we are talking about off-leash reliability. Um, Vinny Viola is a certified professional dog trainer and a Karen Pryor Academy certified training partner. Um, he has a yellow lab blue, and he has done pretty amazing things with this dog. Um, and he posts a lot on his Instagram at canine.jester um, about off-leash reliability. And we had such an amazing conversation talking about all things um, recall, keeping our dogs off-leash. Um, so I really think you guys are going to enjoy this episode. Um, if you like this episode, do me a favor, take a screenshot and tag us both on the Instagram. You can find a link to his Instagram handle in the show notes. And hey, if you don't already follow me on uh, Instagram, what are you waiting for? You could be getting training tips daily right in your newsfeed from me. So guys, please enjoy this episode. If you have questions, you want to talk about this more, let's talk about it in the Facebook group. And if you don't already know, um, Disorderly Dogs is now on Patreon. So if you like the podcast, you find it beneficial, and you would like to financially support the podcast, I would super appreciate that. There is also a link for that in the show notes. Enjoy, you guys. Hey guys, so I do not take promoting a product lightly. I really don't. I'm not going to tell you about a product I don't really believe in, and I'm not going to tell you about a product that doesn't have a fabulous team behind the product, but I was out of CBD for probably like two weeks, and then the lovely ladies at VetCS got me another bottle, and I didn't really think about it, but after I started giving the dogs CBD again, Waylon's energy level greatly increased. I think that the CBD helps him feel so much better. So guys, this is not a gimmick. There is no bullshit. I believe in this product. And if you think that your dog could benefit from CBD, I highly suggest check out VetCS. You can learn more about CBD for dogs, cats, and horses at VetCS.com. And you can use code DisorderlyDogs for 10% off your first purchase. About today would help them also. Because again, what, it, what it's about is building that relationship, that engagement, um, getting them excited, getting them to gamble on you, wanting them to be near you. Um, so yeah, I'm ready to dive into this and see where you want to take this. I'm excited. Oh I love it so much. <laughs> okay, so for everyone listening, right? The, the, the topic of the day is off-leash reliability. And I think that there are kind of two schools of thought when it comes to off-leash reliability. So for everyone listening, you all know that we're from the, you know, positive reinforcement thought process. Um, and, you know, Vinny, to kind of circle back to what you said, I think that it all boils down to like the relationship you build with the dog. And that's really where all the metaphorical magic happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to talk about some personality traits, some maybe breed characteristics that maybe make it more challenging for dogs to be off leash because I, I don't want to fool anyone t- into thinking that like you're just going to have off leash reliability tomorrow, right? Because that's not the way that yeah, it works. Yeah, definitely not. 
And I think that competing motivators are real, right? And we have to be aware of them and know our dogs well to make sure that we set ourselves and our dogs up for success. So um, Vinny, I'd love to hear in your experience, like different personality types that you feel like maybe lend themselves to off-leash reliability more so than other personality traits. Yeah. So one thing that I start with when, when a client comes to me with this is I ask them, when your dog blows you off and runs away or is, is getting distracted or is choosing something other than you, what is that thing? I like to know, is it that they heard a noise and they got scared, so now they're kind of running off? Is it that they saw a squirrel and now they're chasing it? Is it that your dog is super friendly and outgoing and wants to run up to every single person and animal? So I like to know, what is your dog being distracted by? I never just stop with like, oh yeah, your dog doesn't come when called. I wanna know why. Why is your dog not coming when called? And then, yeah, there are certain personalities, dogs that are very confident, dogs that like prey, dogs that like to chase. Um, I don't know if, if you found similar things or if there are other personalities oh, sure. that... For sure. Well, and I feel like, you know, I think that undeniably there are some dogs, sometimes it's breed, sometimes it's just individual dogs that are just more human-centered. They just are more concerned about their human owner, right? Mm -hmm. And like, I think everyone listening knows Tiva and Waylon really well. And Tiva is that magical unicorn, right? Like she really just genuinely cares what I have to say a vast majority of the time. Yeah. And that lends itself really nicely to her being off leash. And then like on the flip side of that, well, I like to think that Waylon loves and adores me. He doesn't have that same propensity to be like super involved in what I'm doing, right? Like the environment is much more motivating to him than I am. Mm -hmm. What about Baloo? And there is a, and there is a, I'm sorry, what did you say? Uh, tell us more about Baloo. Where does he fall on that? Yeah, so I was gonna talk about the, the gift and the curse with that is sometimes a red flag for me is if someone's like, oh, my dog never leaves my side and I go hiking with them and they're just right on top of me the whole time and they never wanna run off. And then the thing goes in my head, like, why? You know, like, why is your one and a half year old Labrador sticking right by your side and never wants to go anywhere? So my previous dog was very fearful. He was he was skittish around people, skittish around dogs. Leash walking him was amazing. Taking him in the woods was amazing because he wanted to be right on top of me all the time. But it was more frantic. If I were to go away, he wanted to run to me, but not in a great way, not in like the way that you would want your dog to. My dog now, the environment is his thing. And it took me a while to realize that, but his drug of choice is sniffing and hunting and running. Not specifically for anything. If you watch him, you're like, what? It, that's what I did in the beginning. When I took him on, when I started doing decompression walks, which I know that's not what this is about, but decompression walks is a huge part of recall, I believe, because taking away that novelty to being free, right? A dog that's never been free, once they finally get there, they're like, oh my God, I'm free, I can do whatever I want. So I would watch him and I'd be like, what are you doing? I don't even know if you know what you're doing. Like he was just hunting and searching and sniffing and there'd be dogs and people. One of the first times he got off and I, and I lost them when he was young, I was like, oh no, he's gonna run up to everyone. He just started running and peeing on every tree. And I was like, oh, okay, I, this is information that I have to run with. So. So yeah, Baloo is very confident. I've never seen him nervous of anything. He just wants to run and sniff and, and go into the environment. So I had to start rewarding him with the environment and I had to start using that to my advantage. So for everyone listening, can you tell us just a little bit more about Baloo? 
Yeah, so Baloo is six now. He's a six-year-old field lab. So his parents were bred for hunting. I've, I haven't done hunting with him. Um, I really just trained him. He's kind of like an old tricks pony type of dog. I, I had him as a, a friend, right? I wanted to exercise with him. I like hiking, I like running. I've taught him tricks for fun. I have no real titles with him. I don't do crazy competitive healing or anything like that. I really just wanted him to be a fun dog that I can go hiking with and have a good time with. Yeah. And I feel like that is so many people's motivation. Right. And like, you know, I got Waylon with every intention of putting like a million titles on this dog. And then I realized like, I don't really care about that. Yeah. Right. Like all I really care about is that we can go and be in the woods together and have a really brilliant time and we can both get what we need out of it. Exactly. So I want to hear just a little bit more like in, in Baloo's early days, because I, I think that, you know, the breed propensities, right, of a field bred lab, like it makes plenty of sense that he wants to run around and use his nose. Mm -hmm. And I'm really curious, like how you used his already existing behaviors to reinforce more of the reliability you wanted from him. Yeah, so at first, which we can get into some of the basics, but I followed a lot of the basic rules, like always have your dog on leash. I did come from a more strict background, so I would try to take him for hikes in the woods on a six foot leash. I wasn't letting him sniff nearly enough. I was going out with the, I would just get more and more, better food constantly. Like, okay, he doesn't want the chicken. I'm going to get the lamb lung. He doesn't want the lamb lung. I'm going to cut up hot dogs. He did not care. He he is food motivated in a way, but once we're out in the wild, it's like, I don't care about food. All I want to do is sniff. Um, so I fought against that for a long time. And then I realized I'm just going to re I'm going to go from the back and just completely re-engineer this and just let him free. I was like, done. I'm not going to go out here with all these strict rules and have a short leash and never let you sniff. I'm going to go completely the other way. I'm going to put you on a 50 foot long line. And I'm just going to walk and I'm going to let you be and I'm going to see. And then he would check in and I would reward that. And then I started noticing that as he was able to check out the environment and sniff and gain, it, gain info, he would then start checking in more. So in the beginning, I really almost did no training on the way out to the trail. And then all my training and check-ins would be happening on the way back because he already, he already searched that area. He already got the info he needed. And then he could check in and see me and, and think about me. Um, so that's really in the beginning, if I could have done it again, it would have been more decompression way sooner, but decompression walks weren't as trendy as they were now. And I didn't have that info available to me, unfortunately, but it was a game changer. Yeah. And like, you know, I feel like we have a lot in common in that way. Right. And I think that as dog trainers, we have this like skill set that we want to just utilize. And I feel like we're susceptible to overtraining to mm -hmm. a point where the dogs are like, for God's sake, leave me alone. Like, mm -hmm. let me be right. And that I think is really hard for people to wrap their minds around initially is that you have to give them freedom, right? And mm -hmm. long leashes are a beautiful safety net for that. But you have to let them do their thing before we can expect them to be doing everything we want them to do. And like letting go of that control is actually going to get you to off-leash reliability a lot sooner than exactly. really, really strict short leashes. You have to pay attention to me. You can engage in the environment. And I think that, you know, I think that the argument, right, is always, well, if we let them practice it, aren't they going to get really good at it? It's like, 
it's not that we're letting them practice that we're letting them engage in a, a regular dog behavior. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that letting go of control would be like my first step in like off leash reliability, like put the dog on a long leash and let them do what they want for yeah. a while. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So let's talk about foundational steps. So obviously long leashes are definitely going to be huge, right? Because we're giving our dogs more freedom. Um, so talk a little bit more about like the check-in and kind of how you capitalized on that. And then maybe how that kind of progressed over time. Yeah. So, I mean, if we go foundational back to puppyhood, right? I'm rewarding dogs, just reshaping. You're looking at me, you're following me around, you're checking in. I do a lot of food chase type games where I'm tossing food. The dog gets it, they check back in. I get them to start turning around, following me. I move, I get them doing that. And then, yeah, taking it on foundationally when you're then on the trail, if the dog is checking in with me on the own, I'm rewarding and then letting them go. And then they're checking in, I'm rewarding and letting them go. I would go in a location where there's not much distraction at first, long line, maybe an empty field. And I would just kind of mill around and the dog sniffing. And then every time they kind of check in, I reward. And then I almost play the opposite of a chase. I almost try to pretend that I'm trying to get away from the dog. And then when the dog is checking in with me, I'm like, oh, make a big deal out of it and reward. And then there's no, you know, we could talk about, I was hoping we could talk a little bit about how this cue gets poisoned because I think it's one of the most poisoned cues out there. You know, when I see, uh, in puppy class, the way people are using this or the questions they ask me, I kind of know how they're poisoning it. So really not having, not poisoning this cue at first is so important. Not using it, not overusing it and attached to overusing it is actually underusing it. So I don't know if, if we wanted to move on to that, but I kind of yes. wanted to okay, talk so about overusing it, that- underusing it and poisoning it because those are all very important for this cue. Oh my God, they really are. But before we do that, I want to talk just a little bit about what you mentioned about moving away from them. Because sure. I think that our directional cues, we're not aware of what they are, how to use mm-hmm. them and how it's influencing the dog's behavior. Yeah. Right. So I think that what you're saying about moving away from the dog and encouraging them to come into your space mm-hmm. is really important for everyone listening to remember because I see it time and time again, right? And I'm sure everyone listening could like cringe and think about a time when like someone's dog got loose and they just kept chasing after them and chasing after Mm -hmm. them. They were getting frustrated and the dog kept running. So guys, directional cues matter. What, where your shoulders are facing, where you're moving, your movement has a direct impact on what your dog is gonna do, especially if you have herding breeds, right? So really be aware of that and really think about making coming into your space inviting instead of always going into their space to quote unquote, get them. Yep. So no chasing. Obviously I nip that right in the bud immediately when I go to someone's house and they're like, oh, the kids are chasing the dog or the dog thinks it's a game that we're chasing them. No, right away. And then moving away. I also move away from the dog when I'm rewarding. I do a lot of movement when I'm rewarding the dog. I very rarely just put a treat in the dog's face. I like to move. I like to make this create this whole event of a reward where I'm moving. The dog is chasing me. I might throw food on the floor so the dog can chase the food. Really building that engagement towards me, never away from them, never, never at them, rather, never chasing my dog. I never want my dog to think it's a game to run away from me. Um, I want them to want to chase me instead. That's really what, what a recall is, in, in a sense, is getting your dog to chase you and get to you. 
Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. Okay, so, oh my God, let's talk about poison cues because I think that this is the crux of all recalls. Yeah, this cue, I actually have like probably, I'm the, you know, I'm going to go right out there and say I have like three or four recall cues because one, I poisoned, then I retrained it. And then I was like, I'm going to use this word instead of that word. And then sometimes I found other words just worked because I wasn't intentionally training it as a recall. And then the dog found that more exciting because it was my let's go and play cue. And I was like, hey, like if my let's go and play cue makes my dog come better than my, my recall word, then why do I even need the recall word, right? So poison cue, for those that don't know, it's really when the dog has a negative association with the word that you're using. They start thinking that the cue means something else. So for recall, you know, all the time, come over here, give me what you stole. Come over here, let me clean your paws. Come over here, let me clean your ears. Or we just use it all the time, come, come, come. Or it just doesn't mean anything. Or come over here, now you go inside and I'm putting you in the crate for eight hours when I go to work. Um, I think the thing with recall that's very difficult for people to understand is you're not just asking your dog to come to you. You're sometimes asking your dog to give up what they were doing, right? So calling your dog away from another dog is not just asking your dog to walk over to you and get a treat. It's asking your dog to stop playing with that dog. So it's more complicated than just come to me. A lot of times you're asking your dog to first stop doing something that they would rather be doing. And, and that's why people will say, oh, well, my dog comes to me when I'm in the kitchen, but then when I'm in the front yard, he doesn't. Because in the kitchen, he's not really dealing with any other thing. He's not doing something that he enjoys. When you're outside in the woods, he's, he's on the hunt. He's on the prowl. He's chasing a squirrel. So you have to first get your dog to stop chasing the squirrel before they even think about coming to you. Yeah. And like, I think we take for granted what a big gigantic ask it is to recall our dogs in a lot of situations. And like, I am so guilty of this so guilty of this and like it's hard you know because I feel like Tiva has just spoiled me rotten and then you know when I brought Waylon into the picture for Tiva it's not asking a lot because she genuinely wants to come back right yeah. like for her she's like oh we're coming back this is amazing and I really learned the hard way with several poison recall cues I was so glad mm -hmm. to hear you say that Vinny because I'm like oh my god <laughs> it's not just me but, you know, it's a big ask. And then I think we also run the risk of the recall cue actually becoming the context cue for there's a distraction coming. Mm -hmm. I don't know if, you, if this has ever happened to you, but like in Waylon's early days, he loves dogs. He wanted to genuinely go and say hi to dogs. And I made the mistake of every time we were on the trail, when I saw another dog, I would call him back and ask him to get off the trail. So I took interacting with the dog off the table. And sometimes you have to do that, right? I'm not saying that like every time you can just let the dog say hi, but in the context of Waylon, I pretty much taught him that the recall cue is there's a dog coming, blow me off and go say hi to the dog, yeah. right? Because it was too much of an ask. It was too much, right? And I think that I made the mistake of giving Waylon too much off-leash freedom first. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all guilty of that, right? Long leashes have really um, upped our game in that way. But I do think that the recall cues can also become poisoned because it means the thing you really like is coming and I'm going to try and get you to come to me. So hurry, just bolt away from me. Mm -hmm. 
And that kind of ties into what I was saying before with underusing it, because we do hear this, this, you know, constant dialogue of don't overuse your cue. And it is true. And many people do overuse it. I feel like dog trainers then sometimes underuse it. Whereas, so say you go for an hour hike. And then when do you call your dog to come? Say you didn't see any dogs. You call your dog to come at the end, you put the leash on and then you go in the car. So sometimes I'll call Baloo to me in the woods. I'll leash him up. I'll drop the leash and let him go again. So now he's on a six foot leash. He thought we were leaving and then we weren't. And then I call him back, I take the leash off, right? If you're only calling your dog then in emergencies, or you're only calling your dog when a dog is coming, you, like you just said, you're making that context. You, you call the dog to come and they start scanning the environment. Where is it? Where's the dog? Mm-hmm. Um, and that definitely happens. So you don't want to overuse it and misuse it where you're just saying it all the time. But then if you're only using it, right? A, nine times out of 10, when I call my dog to come, I don't need him to, right? I'm, I'm, I'm working now, I'm building that relationship. I'm building that rapport with him. And then I'm showing him that when you come to me, amazing stuff is happening. Um, and I don't want him to make those connections. Cause again, they do, you hear it all the time. Oh, my dog doesn't come to come inside, right? They don't, they won't come in the house with me because they know the only time you call them to come is we're going in. So again, sometimes I'll go out in the yard with no, no toys. I'll call my dog in. We find a toy together. We go back out, in, out, in, out. So it's not overusing it, but I'm also not underusing it. Yeah. And I think, I think that it becomes challenging because we're very, let's be honest, we can be very selfish and lazy in a lot of ways. And we don't want to do mm-hmm. the work. We just want the dog to come in when we call them. But we have to go above and beyond for our dogs, right? We ask a lot. Our dogs do a lot for us without fair compensation. And if we want a reliable recall, if we want our dogs to do what we need, we need to meet them in the middle and teach them, right? That coming inside, coming when called actually means that not only can they have what they truly desire, they also get metaphorical icing on top of that cake, right? When we're shoving Mm -hmm. chicken or whatever in their mouths, right? And I think that When you get to that point, when the dog understands that, oh my God, every time my owner calls and I have come back, all this awesome stuff starts to happen. That's when really all the possibilities of like off-leash opportunities really start to show themselves. And, And I think that it's worth it, right? It's worth it to put in all that extra work because to kind of circle back to what you were talking about with the decompression walks, right? You know, letting our dogs be off leash, letting our dogs move freely, letting our dogs use their nose and do what they want. It's brilliant. I want that for every dog, but let's be honest. That's not possible off leash. If you have a dog who has no skill set for that. So I think that it's really important that we take the time to work on these foundational skills because it will pay off tenfold. And having a dog that you can trust off leash that you know you can pretty much call no matter what, probably my favorite feeling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It okay, is a so, good feeling. So, um, okay, so we kind of talked about some of the foundational stuff. So I wanna, I wanna give the listeners some more tangible things they can work on for proofing. So proofing meaning bringing more reliability to the recalls in more distracting settings. So what are some exercises that you have been successful with, with Baloo? I know he's super toy motivated. So do you use that to your advantage too? Yeah. So I use toys. I've actually used toys with my proofing. And then I could even tell you a funny story of when I was humbled by his toys um, in the past. So his toys did become a crutch at one point. I like toys because they're fun 
right? The dog has fun. So I like using them as, a, as motivation. I, as I said, when my dog is very distracted, he, his food drive just goes right out the window. He doesn't even want anything, but I can get him to chase a ball or a Frisbee. So I started using that. Now I did find that in the beginning days, my dog would only want to play in my yard. I would take him into the woods. I would take a, a ball out and he would go, oh, I don't want it. So I had to build that. I went to the same exact field every single day. Instead of playing in my yard, I went to that field. I took the ball out first couple of days. He didn't want it. Eventually he was like, I really want to play ball though. And I've been to this field three or four times. Okay, I'll give it a shot. And then I started generalizing that to all different locations. And that's just so I could build my toy as a motivation, right? I wanted to be able to use that as a reward. Um, back to toys though, is I also use toys for my proofing. So if I could call Baloo off of a Frisbee that's moving, I'm going to have a better opportunity or a better chance rather of calling him off of a squirrel that's running. Um, so obviously being able to tell your dog to sit and stay while you throw a Frisbee and the Frisbee moves would probably be the beginning of that. Right. And then having your dog go chase a frisbee that's not moving so now the frisbee is across my yard it's on the floor it's dead it's not moving i release him to go 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 get it and then i call him while he's halfway there and then the hardest would be now i'm throwing the frisbee the frisbee's moving he's chasing the moving frisbee and i'm calling him off of that right so you see that even in that situation and that's why being off leash reliable is so complicated because that's so that's the same dog, the same yard, the same Frisbee, but then three different pictures that are being painted there and increasing in difficulty. So short little story was Baloo loved the tennis ball. That was his favorite thing. One, one day, five-year-old from next door picked up his tennis ball. And I swear to God, Baloo is doing circles around him, going through his legs, listening to him. And I tried to call Baloo off and he was like, no, this guy has the Frisbee. Uh, the, the ball so then what I had to do is I actually employed that little six-year-old and I was like I want you to hold that ball for a second so the, the kid would hold the ball and I would call Baloo to me and if Baloo came to me I'd have the kid throw the ball so you got to be creative you have to figure out what you know and then be honest about your crutches and what your dog gets kind of zoned in on in that case the toy became such a crutch that it was a distract because it is just another form of motivation a distracted a distraction yes oh my god yeah, don't you love those humbling moments? We're like, oh, okay, got it, right? Oh, a six-year-old could do everything I could do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so I wanted to circle back to the three different um, training sequences you were talking about with the frisbee. So, in sure. those sequences, are you using food as reinforcements, or are you just using releasing to the toy as the reinforcement? Yeah, so it's tough. Um, I'm trying to think all the way back to the beginning with him. It, it really depends on the dog. With, with him, I think I was just asking him to sit and then I was marking his sit with uh, the, like, so I have him on leash. I'd have him on leash. And um, that's something that we should talk about too, is really have your dog on leash if you don't know that they're going to come or when you're asking them to come. And then I would ask him to sit. And as he sit, I would release him. I would give him, I use marker cues for getting a Frisbee. So it's free. Um, if I sit instead of clicking or saying yes, I say that word free and now he's off to get that Frisbee. So he started learning that his behavior enabled him to go get things in the environment. Um, so that's how I did that with, with the Frisbee. But again, I started with getting him to call off of stuff with more food chasing games, food type things, again, with a leash in the and beginning I, stages. And I think that, you know, for everyone listening, if you have a dog who is really toy motivated, this is amazing, right? 
And I think that it just adds to the concept, right? It adds to the different pictures our dogs are going to see that we're going to need them to respond to, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have a dog who is not terribly motivated by toys, that is okay, right? There's still lots of options for you. So I think that, you know, I think what it really boils down to is knowing our individual dogs, right? Knowing what they're motivated by. And something that I encourage a lot of my clients to do is not only write out a literal list of what is distracting their dog, but also getting really clear on what motivates your dog. And oftentimes the distraction list and the motivators list, there's a lot of crossover, right? Like, okay, the dog is really distracted by squirrels because they're motivated by squirrels, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that we need to be really clear about understanding that. So I want to hear from you on this. Um, Do you use chasing squirrels, other wildlife as reinforcements? So that's where in the beginning I did not simply because Baloo would, Baloo would take off. He would just go. Um, I did more of similar to the look at that game, but that we would use for reactivity, but with things that my dog was distracted by. So a lot of look at that squirrel, look back to me, you're getting, you're getting a reward. Um, turning those things into um, cues or um, objects in the environment that then would tell Blue that there was reinforcement available from me. But then I did start getting to the point where I would send him off. And then oddly enough, he would then just want to come back to me. Cause he's like, oh, this means you're, you're trying to trick me. He's like, yeah, I'll look at that squirrel really quickly, but I want you, I want you to throw the Frisbee now. And again, there's so many steps to that is it's building. So back to like, some people that their dog might not be as motivated by food or toys, you can build that, right? You can do food chasing games or the dog you turn, you know, so something I do at Blue is I turn the food into a game where he's chasing the food in my hand and I'm turning the food into a toy. I built up his toy drive. I I do that in environments that aren't distracting. And then, yeah, I started doing look at that games um, around distractions. You look at a distraction, fun things are happening over here. So more of a look at that game with Baloo. I'm not opposed to, to letting him chase, but I haven't done that as much with him. Have you, have you done that? Yeah. So, you know, and it's one of those that like, it's not a perfect system. And unfortunately for Waylon, his preferred, you know, wildlife is elk and deer. And like, that is not as easy to orchestrate. You know what I mean? Like I can't Mm -hmm. really allow him to chase deer for several hundred yards. I mean, I guess I could, but not ideal. I really try not to allow that to happen. Um, But I really find that like with the smaller game, like squirrels, especially squirrels that Mm -hmm. run up to trees, I find that that can be a really, really useful way to reinforce behavior. And you know, everything you're saying about the look at that genius, right? Like I utilize a lot of those same principles and then I pretty much just follow it up with the release word and they can chase the squirrel up the tree. Right. And I find that that can be really, really reinforcing and the dog's like, cool, got that out of my system. Now I'm ready to rock. Um, Something that I've been utilizing a lot with Waylon is sniffing the area where the deer were. Right. Mm -hmm. So And this still requires a long leash, right? Like this is not, this is not fully proofed. Like he can't do it reliably completely off leash just yet. But I find that for him, it's not as much about the chase as much as like deer are just really freaking exciting. So like if he can go and sniff where they were, that kind of acts as the same end of sequence, so to speak, 
right? So like, okay, he sees a deer and I'm doing a lot of what you're saying, right? I'm reinforcing for looking at the deer. He's getting a couple of cookies and I'm doing that for a few seconds. And then when the deer kind of mosey on or run off, then I'm giving him his release word and I'm hustling him over to the area where the deer were. He gets to get his sniffy sniffies in. And then really quickly, he's like, okay, I'm ready for another cookie. Right. And I find that that sequence has been really super productive for us, but I just don't have the luxury of like, you know, deer go up a tree and that can be that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sometimes with clients that have a fenced in yard, it's, I, I don't have a fenced in yard, so I can't, I, I, I didn't do that earlier on, but I do, I'll let the dog release to go run and get their yayas and they chase the squirrel, the squirrel runs on the other side of the fence. And I love what you're saying with the scent. That's that's exactly what I do with Baloo and dogs. So if I'm doing, if I'm passing a dog and Blue's very excited again, he wants to meet everyone. He loves all dogs. He now works to be able to get to smell that dog's area. And then it really, it's like he's a pressure cooker and it totally just deflates him, right? It's like he wants to know, wants to know, wants to know. And then he's like, oh, I got to sniff the scent. I'm kind of done now. Um, and that's super helpful. Yeah. And I think ultimately our dogs just want more information. They just mm -hmm. want to know more about what is yeah. happening in the environment. And I think that building these creative ways to, to satiate that desire for them. I love what you said about deflates because it's so freaking true, right? Like we do not want our dogs to be like antsy, anxious, like worked up all of the time. We want them to be able to access some of those things, but doing it in just a little bit more of a creative setup so that we can get what we need out of them. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, so I wanna talk about realistic expectations because I think that everybody wants an off-leash dog, but not everybody <laughs> understands you know, the realities of what that looks like. So um, I wanna hear from you on this. Like, what do you think people can expect? Like, I mean, say someone has a young dog, they've done a little bit of training, but not a ton. I mean, from where I sit, the long leash is probably your best option in more distracting environments, but I wanna hear from you on this. Yeah, so long line distracting environments. And then again, even beyond the recall is, can you get your dog to focus on? Um, people have a dog that doesn't even focus on them when they're just walking on a leash. What makes you think when you take the leash off and now they're completely free that they're gonna, they're gonna you know, listen to you? I, I think the other realistic expectation is that dogs are dogs, they're all different. And I do not believe anyone can with 100% confidence say, there's always gonna be a recall here. This dog is always gonna come back no matter what. I know that every time I let my dog off leash, I am assuming a risk. I think this is also a time to talk about, there are leash laws. As much as I am a dog person and a dog lover and I love my own dog and other dogs, I don't believe my dog needs to ever be someone else's problem, including wildlife, including other people. Um, you know, one time I was walking in the woods alone. There was a lady walking alone. Baloo was off leash, but he was, I knew he was fine. And then I got him closer to me as she got closer and I put him on leash as we we're passing and she was upset. And the reason why she was upset is because she doesn't know I'm a dog trainer. She doesn't know Baloo's friendly and she doesn't like dogs. So I made her nervous. So I'm also aware of that. You know, some people are very scared of dogs. And if you're in a public area, they don't know that you have a good, good recall. They don't know that you have a long line on sometimes. So I like to honor that. I always keep my dog on leash around other people. 
in the beginning when I wasn't as sure as I am now with his reliability, I would go in the rain. I would go when it's snowing. I would go when it's freezing and nasty and dark out. I'd be like, yes, perfect day for hiking. No one's going to be there. Sometimes I would go way off and off into a weird trail where there would be no one there. And I knew that there was no one there. And that's where I would start because I don't want, I don't test my dog. I still, I put my dog on leash when I see a dog coming for a pass by because what's the reward? I'm like, oh, I got to walk past a dog with no leash on. I don't care about that. I want my dog to be free and loose in the woods. You know, having a friendly dog, because we always hear this, we have to talk about it though. Don't worry, he's friendly. Oh my God. Right? Yeah, because again, so my last dog, like I said, wasn't friendly. So walking with him was easy. Baloo, I think would run up to a grizzly bear and try to sniff its butt. <laughs> so I have to, you know, I don't, I'm lucky that I don't have a dog, a reactive dog or a dog or a dog aggressive dog in that I, I'm, I'm pretty certain I know Baloo, he's not going to run over and just bite someone, but he would run up to a dog that is fearful or nervous or might bite him. And he wouldn't even know the difference because he's just a goof like that. <laughs> um, you know, I've seen him get a, a dog one time, got out of its house, bit Baloo and then ran away and Baloo was like wagging his tail, like, where'd you go? Come back here. So, <laughs> you know, no matter what type of dog you have, you have to realize that once they're off leash, you're taking a risk and there are leash laws and you don't want them to start kicking, you know, certain parks don't allow dogs anymore. It's because of things like this. Yeah. And it's so true. Right. And like, ultimately we love dogs. We want you to be able to do things off leash with your dogs, but not at the cost of ruining someone else's experience. Like that's mm -hmm. not okay. It is not okay no. to ruin someone else's experience just because you want your dog to be off leash. And I feel like, you know, with social media, while it is amazing, I feel like there are a lot of fictitious images of dogs always get to be off leash right and that is not the world that we live in people right unless you live like in a rural area and there genuinely are like there's not other people out and you're out you know most of us live in busy areas where there are other people's people out on the trails and it's not fair to our dogs or to anyone else out in the world to ruin that experience for them right and you know it's I love dogs, but ultimately I also love people and I love my community and I don't want to scare the bejesus out of anyone because that's so exactly. great. We all go to the woods to decompress. I think that's everyone's intention when they go out there and it's not fair to ruin that, right? Like we know that our dogs are friendly. People don't know that. People don't mm -hmm. know that. So um, I think that when you should opt to use a leash, definitely when there are other people or dogs, right? Like it's not that hard. Call exactly. them on a leash. Right. Um, and, you know, yes, leash laws. I, I do think we should be abiding by leash laws. Um, I think that I'm not always great about that because I'm spoiled with Tiva, the unicorn dog who like literally <laughs> will recall off of anything. She's 13. You know, it's like 13 yeah. years of reinforcement history. But Waylon, no, it's very rare where I'm like, no, he can just be completely off leash for an entire hike because there's no risk involved. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, guys, I want to just kind of wrap it up here, but I want to talk just a little bit about um, <laughs> some of the fallacies, right, of like 
So the, the conversation we had here, guys, is very real and honest, right? But I think that there are some fallacies in the dog training world that the only way you could stop your dog if they were off leash and they were doing something you didn't want them to do was with an e-collar. And, you know, Vinny, I just want to hear from you on this a little bit, because while I don't advocate for using e-collars, I think that it's still, it's in the, the dog training space. And I think that it's still helpful for us all to understand why we don't use them. Um, and like, you know, I'll, I'll end on this and then Vinny, I want to hear from you, but I have seen countless dogs blow through the e-collar on the highest setting. Right. So mm -hmm. don't think that like the e-collar is going to be this full stop, like quote unquote control and an off leash dog, um, because I've seen plenty of dogs blow it off. Yeah. So I, I have worked with a few clients that, that have told me that they use it. And then, you know, when I see how they use it, I notice that the dog is, is unsure of really what's happening. Sometimes they, the dog just stops like everything else. If, if you're using an e-collar, um, you would have to do it correctly. Um, I, I am in a position to talk a little bit more about that because I am a crossover trainer. So I am, I've used e-collars before. I know how they work. Um, what I find with the e-collar is sometimes you get a dog that then doesn't want to go away, right? Doesn't want to leave you, which isn't what I'm looking for when I'm hiking. I want my dog to be free. I want my dog to be loose. I want my dog to run off. Again, it's, it's based in relationship and excitement. It's based on a history of reinforcement. My dog is coming to me because he's betting on me. He knows that I'm going to be a source of reinforcement and fun. He's not coming to me because he's worried about escaping and avoiding some type of pain. Um, so I don't know if I'm covering everything you want me to with the e-collar, but um, you know, it is a touchy subject. Because again, there are, you know, a group of people that really feel like it's the only way to get your dog to come off leash. I do not believe that it's the only way. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I absolutely agree. And I really appreciate your perspective, right? As someone who does understand how they work. Um, and I think that, you know, yes, maybe they work, right? Because they do, right? They, they do work in some ways. But what is the fallout from that? There's no mm -hmm. fallout from everything we've given you as far as training advice in this episode. There's no fallout, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, they, the, the, big one, the, big belly, one with e, the big one with e-collars that I see, especially when done by, because again, I'm going to be careful here. There, you know, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong or disagree with me, but there are trainers that use those tools in a way that I would agree with more than others, right? They're not all created equally. But the majority of people, the regular Joe that walks to the store and picks up an e-collar and then goes in the woods and starts pressing the button. I've had many clients where they yell at their dog. They think that their dog knows what they mean, but they didn't do any training. So then they just press their magical remote. The dog associates the remote with their owner yelling and then starts taking off even further. Like I know personally two, two clients whose dogs left them and one of them never, he lost him indefinitely because he heard the owner yelling, he started zapping, the zapping freaked the dog out and the dog took off and went running. So I just like to talk like this because there are a group of people that just completely disregard everything we say, oh, they don't wanna do e-collar, so you know, screw them. So I just want to, in case there are people on the fence listening that maybe have the e-collar at their house charged up and they don't know how to use it, if 
we didn't convince you and you're going to do that anyway, I would just recommend you realize that there is still a lot of training involved in doing it with an e-collar. You know, so many people think that they could just buy a $40 e-collar off of Amazon and press the button in the woods and the dog is going to come running to them. It's not that. It's not that. Right. It's careful. It's careful, systematic training, whichever direction you decide to go. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't just get to be like this, this um, cure, right. That everyone yeah. wants it to be. Right. So um, I really appreciate your perspective on that. Right. Um, and I think that everyone listening um, is obviously here because they want to know how to do it without one, which I think is exactly. Really cool. And that's why I started off in the beginning. Like if you're listening to this and you know, cause I know they're out there because they come to me. Right. If, if you are out there and you have the e-collar and you still feel like there's something missing, right? I've, I've done this. I, I met in the woods a few weeks ago with someone that's like, look, I've used the e-collar, but, but you know, something's going on. And I look and the dog is, is like nervous to move and doesn't want to sniff and there's no relationship. It's like all just based on this button. You can still use all of the stuff we're talking about now and your recall will get better. Even if you decide like, look, I really want to have the e-collar still. Like, I, I don't care whatever. I'm not just going to sit here and bash people for using e-collars. I know they're doing it because they are fearful. They don't want to lose their dog. They feel like it's gonna give them that hundred percent reliability. I'm just asking you to also think about building your relationship, building the bond with your dog, making fun and excitement out of it. I guarantee you your recall will still improve. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. If you follow all the advice we've given you in this episode, undoubtedly your recall will improve. Right. Exactly. And, and I love where you're at. Right. Because there's no bashing here. Right. Whatever tools you're using. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're listening. Right. I'm mm -hmm. glad you spent 45 minutes of your day to be here with us. Time is valuable. I know there's a lot of podcasts out there. Um, so we're grateful that you're here. Right. And, and you gave us the time to share our perspective um, because, you know, Vinny and Blue and, and me and my dogs were living proof of what's possible. Right. And we want to just empower you to know that you can have that relationship with your dog that also yields amazing reliability when it comes to off leash stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my God. Vinny, you are amazing. Rachel, so thank fun. you so much. We're going to have to do this again. Yes. Okay. And, so, Vinny, uh, for everyone listening, um, if they want to connect with you, where's the best place for them to find you? Canine.jester on Instagram, probably the best place. That's where I do most of my stuff. Um, you could also find me on Facebook, but I'm not as productive there these days. I'm pretty much on Instagram. So follow me there. Amazing. Okay. I'll be sure to link that up in the show notes so that people can. Find awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to learn more about how you can connect with me for training, you can go to my website, agfdogtraining.com. If you'd like more training inspiration and insight, you can follow me on Instagram at a good feeling underscore NCO. If you'd like to become a member and support the podcast, please check us out on Patreon. You can check us out at patreon.com slash disorderly dogs. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss out on any future episodes and if you really like this podcast and you want to go above and beyond for me you could leave a five-star review over on apple podcast to help more like-minded individuals find us